Thank you, Mike, for that message through song. We are going to continue in our study of the book of Deuteronomy, and we're going to move forward just one chapter, and we're going to be looking at Deuteronomy chapter 5. And I'm going to be reading from verse 1 all the way through to verse 22. Um, And so as we read through this, this is going to sound familiar to you. If you are able, please stand for the reading of God's Word. And the Word of God says this, it says, Then Moses summoned all Israel and said to them, Hear, O Israel, the statutes and the ordinances which I am speaking today in your hearing, that you may learn from them and observe them carefully. The Lord our God made a covenant with us at Horeb, The Lord did not make this covenant with our fathers, but with us, with all those of us alive here today. The Lord spoke to spoke to you face to face in the mountain from the midst of the fire. While I was standing between the Lord and you at that time to declare to you the word of the Lord, for you were afraid because of the fire and did not go up the mountain. He said, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol or any likeness of what is in heaven or above or on the earth beneath or in the water under the earth. You shall not worship them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting iniquity on the fathers, on the children, on the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me. By showing, but showing loving kindness to thousands, to those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the Lord, the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not leave him unpunished who takes his name in vain. Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy as the Lord your God commands you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do not, not do any work, You, nor your son, or your daughter, or your male servant, or your female servant, or your ox, or your donkey, or any of your cattle, or the sojourner who who stays with you, so that your male servant and your female servant may rest with you as well. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out of there by the mighty hand and by an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. Honor your father and your mother as the Lord your God has commanded you that your days may be prolonged and that it may go well with you in the land which the Lord your God gives you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, nor shall you desire your neighbor's house, his field, or his male servant, or his female servant, his ox, or his donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. These words the Lord God spoke to all your assembly at the mountain from the midst of the fire of the cloud and of the thick gloom with a great voice, and he added no more. He wrote them on two tablets of stone, and he gave them to me. Please be seated. As I mentioned already, you probably recognize this passage, but it is also probably not in the place where you normally expect to find it. This is the Ten Commandments. And usually, if we were going to go and do a study on the Ten Commandments, we would go to Exodus 20. However, in the book of Deuteronomy, Moses restates these Ten Commandments in order to remind the next generation of Israel 
about what God had said and to lay the foundation for all of the judgments and the statutes that he is about to give to them. In our modern context, we often view the Ten Commandments as just a list of rules. Things that we can't do, that we do not have permission to do for one reason or another. And, and, and so often we don't really like to spend much time on the Ten Commandments. We might say, well, we're now under the covenant of grace. We're not under the covenant of the law. And so we don't like to spend a whole lot of time diving into this. Make no mistake, we could spend weeks studying each one of the Ten Commandments, which we're not going to do today, but but we look at these and, and we cannot help but kind of think of them as just a list of no statements, things that we're not allowed to do. I was reminded as I was reading through them of kind of when you go to maybe a pool or maybe you go to a public park and they have that list of all of the things you're not going to do. And I've always wondered who did these things that made them need a list in order for them to not do them. I found one such list of rules and, and I, I got a good laugh out of it. And again, it made me ask that question, who is, I see you, um, who, I know one person in the room that is the reason why there are rules. Um, and I stumbled across one list and it made me laugh because it made you wonder, what were they doing at this park? The park rules listed this, no littering, makes sense. No alcohol, I'm good with that, I am a good Baptist. Uh, dogs must be on a leash, I'm okay with that. Dogs must be clothed, okay. Uh, dogs must be Catholic, so apparently that, I don't know how you have the no alcohol and the Catholic thing together, but it's just the dogs, so okay. No alpacas, there's a story there. No hunting other humans for sport. Um, I assume that means it's okay to hunt them for meat. Uh, no loud music, unless it's Elvis. No, da no dance mobs. No human sacrifice of any kind. No motor vehicles, unless it's a Kawasaki, because those things are sick. Um, we look at lists like these, and maybe even the Ten Commandments ourselves, and we often think, wow, these people do not want us to have any fun at all, do they? But I want you to understand that this list, this Ten Commandments, this group of, of things that we often just lump into a thou shalt not, actually represent, represent so much more for the nation of Israel, and specifically, it is talking about how God is establishing His covenant with them. Now, covenant is a word that we throw around a lot in church, but it doesn't always mean that we understand what it, what it is. You know, all too often we have these churchy words like covenant, and we use them, but we don't truly understand what they are. The dictionary defines covenant as a formal um, solemn and binding agreement or promise, usually with, made with a seal between two or more parties, especially for the performance of some action. In other words, it is a relationship between two or more people in which they agree on how they are going to act out that relationship between one another. Now, there are two words that, and kind of my little definition that I really want us to think about today as we look at the Ten Commandments as a whole. And those two words are relationship and act. 
The Ten Commandments explain to us the relationship that Israel was going to have with God as well as the relationship they were going to have with one another and how they were supposed to act within this relationship. As we study the Ten Commandments today, I think it is beneficial for us to begin to see what it is that God is trying to communicate to them and what kind of a relationship God wanted with the nation of Israel. So let's begin with this relationship between Israel and God. Our commandments begin with this statement, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Now, this word Lord that we see in our Bibles uh, often, we notice that it, it's there and it's kind of in all capital letters, even though, you know, it, it, it's a word that we might see other places not that way. And there's a reason for this, and it's because this word Lord is actually God giving his name. He is saying not just I am the Lord your God, but he is saying I am Yahweh your God. He is identifying himself by name, that I am Yahweh, the God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. First and foremost, beyond any command, he wants Israel to know who he is, and so he gave them his name. He didn't do that to Abraham. He didn't do that to Isaac. He didn't do that to Jacob. He didn't do that to, to Joseph or Judah or Reuben or anybody else. But to the nation of Israel with Moses, he gave them his actual name. And that is because he wanted them to know who he really was so that they could have a real relationship with them. Imagine for just a moment, you're young again, and you're in the dating pool once again, and you say, hey, I've got in my case, hey, I've got a new girlfriend. And they said, what's her name? And, they, and I said, I don't know. Well, you don't know her name? No, I just call her babe or sweetie or hun or hey, girl. Are you going to think I have a really meaningful relationship with that person? You're smiling way too big. You've done that, haven't you? We think this way, but, but in order for us to have a real relationship with someone, we need to know them. Which means we need to know, I don't know, their name. It's kind of an important thing. And God is establishing with them, listen, you know my name. You know who I am. I want us to have a real relationship where I know you by name and you know me by name. An interesting fact about the book of Deuteronomy as I was doing this study is I, I, was lo I looked up the word love. And I was actually somewhat shocked to discover that the book of Deuteronomy has the word love in it 23 times. The only, book in the, in the only books in the New Testament that have that word more are the wisdom books. It's the, the book of Psalms and the book of Proverbs. Those are the only times that we see love appear more often. Of all of just kind of the non-poetry, non-wisdom books, Deuteronomy, this book of the law, actually uses the word love more than any other book. Of the 23 times that the word love is found in the book of Deuteronomy, 20 of them are talking about either God's love for Israel or how Israel should love God. Do you think that maybe, just maybe, this is something important that God is wanting to establish with Israel? That not only do they have a God who they have a covenant with, but the God that they are in covenant with loves them and is teaching them and is showing them how to return that love back to Him. 
Deuteronomy is a relationship book because the God who created the heaven and earth is a relational God. And that was true then, and that is true today. As he begins into the commandments, God tells them first to worship him alone. It makes perfect sense since he is the God who, de- who delivered them from Egypt, who, who brought them out of the house of slavery, as he says. He is the one that they should have a relationship with, and especially as they are beginning to go into the land of Canaan, and they are going to go in and see how all of these other people worship all of these other gods, he is reminding them, only me. I am not to be a God in a pantheon of God. I am not supposed to be a God in the midst of all of your little shrines and all of your places to worship. It is only me that you are to worship. Now, there's another reason why God tells them to worship him and him alone, and that is because he's the only God. And that there are no gods beside him. And that he is the only one that you can really truly worship because all other gods are false gods. They are at best nothing or at worst demonic and luring them into sin. God further articulates this through the prophet Isaiah. In Isaiah 45.5 he says this, I am the Lord, I am Yahweh, and there is no other Beside me, there is no God. So as God calls Israel into a relationship with himself, he says, listen, there are no others. And that's not a figurative statement. That's not him just kind of like making a big point. He is telling them, if you worship anything else, you are worshiping air. You are worshiping nothing. Or at worst, you will be worshiping something that I have condemned and is not worthy of your worship. With this, he calls them not to make any sort of of engraven image, no statue, no thing, in order to be the object of their worship. To be sure, this is related to the first commandment. Again, as Israel begins to make that, that journey into Canaan, and as they begin to dispossess the people that are there, They are going to come across all of these other gods and all of these other religions, almost all of whom, in fact, I would say all of which, have some object of their worship. They have a a shrine or a temple. They have some sort of, of idol set up, and that becomes the object of their worship. They go to that place and to that thing in order to worship their gods. God wants them to have no part in that, even if it relates to creating an idol to worship Him. And this is an interesting thing in the Bible that, that, that we see uh, on occasion that, that we should take note of. See, see, a lot of times when Israel started worshiping idols, it wasn't necessarily that they worshiped Dagon or Baal or Asherah. Make no mistake, they did that. If you're not sure about that, go to Joe's Bible class on Sunday nights. We've talked about a whole lot of, of Israel worshiping idols. But there were also times where they would create idols and call that idol Yahweh. One example is Aaron and the golden calf that we see in Exodus 32. In fact, in Exodus 32, 4, he says this. He says, he took from their hand, and this is the gold, and he fashioned it into, with a graving tool and made it into a molten calf. And then he said, they said, this is your God, O Israel, who brought you out of the land of Egypt. 
See, what Aaron did in the golden calves, it wasn't that he said, hey, here's a new God, here's a, a, a fun God that we can worship. He said, no, this is him. And the, the Yahweh that we knew, the Yahweh that did the plagues, that brought us out of Egypt, that part of the Red Sea, he's this golden calf and you can worship this golden calf. We also find an example of this in Judges. In Judges 17 and 18, we are introduced to a man named Micah. And he took silver. So ironically, he took silver that he had stolen from his mother, then gave back to his mother. And his mother said, you know what? Do something fun with it. And he made an idol. And not only did he make an idol, but then he, he enlisted the service of a Levite to be the minister and the priest for that idol. And then that idol ultimately got taken by the Danites, one of the tribes of Israel, taken to the land that they possessed, and it became their idol. And the whole while they called it the Lord their God. See, what had happened with Israel and one of the ways that they broke that commandment was not just that they worshipped other gods, but also they began to create idols to say, this is the God we worship. And God had told them in this commandment, you don't do that. And I love his reasoning that we see at one point, not in this passage, but he says, when you heard my words and you heard it from the fire and the smoke, did you see a hand? No. Did you see a body part? Did you see something, an object to worship? No. But you heard me through the smoke and you heard me through the fire. So don't make graven images of me because I have not revealed myself to you in this way. And so, we see that, that they, they needed to be careful about this. And I think this is something we need to be aware of in our day as well. Because I think it can be very tempting for us to look to an object for our worship of God. It could be a church building. I can only worship God. I can only offer myself up to worship for God when I show up at church on Sunday. And of course, church means a building, not the people. It can be the altar or the stage. It can be a steeple, a statue, even the book of the Bible itself, we can begin to worship and view that as God and God is in that, in that thing and that, that, that is, becomes the object of our worship and God has never intended us to worship a thing but to worship Him. We even see this as we transfer over into the New Testament in John chapter 4 and as he is having his, 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 his uh, conversation with the woman at the well and, and finally she says, well, where do we worship God? Do we worship God on the mountaintop or do we worship Him at the temple? And he says, the day is coming and is now here where you will not worship God on the mountain nor will you worship Him in the temple, but those who God wants to be His worshipers will worship Him in spirit and in truth. For God is spirit, and his worshipers will worship him in spirit and truth. We have to remember that when God calls us not to have idols, that that certainly means false gods and statues and whatnot, but it also means that we don't turn God into an object and then just worship the object. But we worship God every day in all sorts of places because he is there. And he is worthy of that worship. As we continue on in the commandments, he calls us to not use the Lord's name in vain. The word also can mean vanity or, or vainly. 
The idea here is an emptiness to it. It is more than just using his name as a curse word or a byword, but it also means to joke about God, to lightheartedly or flippantly speak his name or talk about him. Believe it or not, brothers and sisters, I think we need to be a little bit careful, more careful about how we joke about church things. And as we watch videos on YouTube or whatever it is, and they make some funny joke about who Jesus is or, or what God has done, we need to be careful about these things. I always view it in this way as I, I don't make fun of my wife and talk about her in this way or that way so that, that she begins to think that I do not value her as a person. And if I would not do that for my wife, I sure better not do that for my God. He also tells us to remember the Sabbath day and to keep it holy. And if there is a command that created more conflict in Jesus' day, I don't know what it is. Jesus found himself constantly having to deal and address the Pharisees because of this one command alone to remember the Sabbath day and to keep it holy. In one such time, he addresses the Pharisees and the scribes in Mark 2.27, and he says that the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. See, as we think about this, is this all has to do about this relationship between God and man. He gives them the Sabbath, but the Sabbath was never intended to be a burden for them to bear. If anything, the Sabbath was intended to be a blessing to the nation of Israel because they were no longer slaves. Slaves don't get a day off. And as we go back into the book of Exodus and we read about what it meant to be enslaved in, in Egypt, they had to make bricks and work out in the hot sun. And, and the more they tried to, to be free, the worse it got for them. And they started trying to manage their population. They tried to um, give them just impossible tasks that they would work from sunup to sundown and exhausted. And the, one of the first things that, that God said to them that when they were freed from that and he established his covenant with them was, you are taking a day off. In fact, every week you are going to take a day off. You will rest on the seventh day. That's what the word Sabbath means. This is a gift for you to treasure, not a burden for you to bear. And that the Sabbath would be a reminder that they were free. And they were free because of the mighty hand of God. Yeah, we can look at the Ten Commandments as a rule, a, a, a book and a list of rules that we shouldn't do. But when we begin to think about it, we realize that this is, this is a determine the relationship talk. And that God is saying, listen, I love you. And I want what's best for you. Now, I want to make sure that, that as you go through life, that, that, that you live in a, in a good relationship, in a loving relationship with your Creator. And this is how you do that. And not only will you love me and, and love me alone, but, but there are blessings to that. There is rest in that. And even as Jesus, we hear say, all you who are weary and heavy laden, cast your burdens on me. 
We see that same thing from the God of the Old Testament. We see that same thing from Yahweh here. And he says, listen, I am taking you into the land that I have set aside for you. And there you will find rest. God not only tells them how they are going to have a relationship with him, but also begins to teach them how they are going to have a relationship with each other. And as we get into the rest of the book of Deuteronomy, we're going to see how this is explained more and more and more. But I want to just acknowledge three areas that God addresses as they have a relationship with one another. He talks about the family or the home. He talks about their actions and he also talks about their hearts or their intentions. As we see this shift in the, the book of Deuteronomy, as we see this shift in the Ten Commandments, we go from remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy to honor your father and your mother. In fact, as we jump down to verse 16, we see not back to back, but two verses very close to each other that both deal with the home. And God is very interested in both the family as well as the marriage. I think God know, knew that, that the family and the marriage would be the very foundation by which their society would function. And if this covenant was going to be passed down from one generation to the next and to the next, he knew that that would happen through the family, from parent to child. Marriage and faithfulness within marriage becomes even a metaphor for, God, for, for Christ and the church in Ephesians chapter 5. We recognize that re the relationship that husband and wife have with each other is going to be an example by which people understood the relationship that God had with them. And that's a very true thing. Parents, children, those of you maybe thinking to start a family, there is no greater Bible classroom than the home. And there is no better place to have a Bible conversation, to have a discipleship conversation than the dining room table. I think we've made a mistake in, the, in recent years by thinking that, that everything when it comes to the teaching and the, the raising up of our children should be delegated to someone else. That our kids are going to learn about God when they attend uh, children's church and Sunday school and youth group. Just like when the kids are going to learn how to, to do what is right and, and to, to, to follow the Lord. And we think that the, that the schools are going to teach them how to be good people. That was never the intention. And the plan was always that the family unit would be the place that children are raised. We look at our society today and we see how the family is, is trying to be obliterated. Divorce is rampant. Parent and children live separate lives with overly busy schedules. We have delegated the things of God from the family to teachers in the, in the church, to peers, to government. I would challenge you today to make loving your family first. Husbands and wives, it starts with that relationship. I know we love our kids. I know we love our grandkids. Love your wife first. Wives, love your husband first. Make sure your kids knew that or know that. 
Make sure your kids know that, that you love your spouse first and foremost, that your relationship is the strongest one in the house because that gives your children a sense of security that they need to know. That you two aren't going anywhere. And if that has fell by the wayside because of the busyness of your lives, it's time to unbusy your life. Spend time with each other. Learn how to love each other well. Learn how to communicate that love. And then when you have that, love your children. Loving your children does mean saying no to them from time to time. That you set their priorities, not them. And that you set their priorities, not their school, not their sports team, not their peers, not TikTok or YouTube or Facebook or Instagram. Love your kids. But parent your kids. We can look even to the example that we have before us and begin to recognize that the way that God said, I love you, is by occasionally saying, don't do these things. In fact, as we look at the rest of the Ten Commandments, we realize that God is concerned with their actions. And He he addresses several what I can only call unloving actions towards one another. Murder, stealing, lying, even coveting. These are all things that that speak to actions that that they can do that will cause harm within Israel and, and, and do harm to the individual. You cannot love someone and then steal from them, lie to them, or murder And so God is concerned with how they act with one another and He wants them to even look to Himself for that example. And that God in His His undying love and faithfulness and forgiveness and grace and mercy, He calls them to treat one another in the same way. And not just do so in the outward ways, in the actions, but also in the inward ways. I was struck as I was reading the Ten Commandments that when we get to the bottom and we get to this idea of coveting, do not covet your neighbor's wife or his, his, his servants or his stuff or his house. You know, we can covet without doing anything, can't we? Coveting, that's a, that's a mind thing. That's a, that's a heart and mind issue. And, and, and he's saying, listen, I want your love for one another to go beyond just actions, to go beyond just surface level things, but I want you to really, truly, in your heart, want what is best for your brother or sister, to want what is best for your fellow countrymen, for, to want what is best for Israel. Now, when he says, I want you to want what is best, he doesn't mean I want you to take what is best from them, but to rejoice with them. Romans chapter 12 says, rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn. See, we should not look upon one another with envy looking at life as though it is a competition. But instead, we are to love one another and encourage one another and celebrate one another when we thrive. And so God's concern for for Israel is not just that they, they love one another, but that they love one another in a selfless way that wants to see the betterment of everybody, and it's not just about themselves. Gosh, who does that sound like? It sounds like the one who maybe did not esteem equality with God was something to be grasped, 
but instead poured himself, taking on the likeness of man. And in obedience to Father, even to obedience which meant death on the cross. If there was anyone who gave us an example of how to love our brothers and sisters, it was Jesus. Who even when they betrayed Him and they crucified Him, He said, forgive them, Father, for they know not what they are doing. Jesus did not just love them in deed, but He loved them to the very core of who He was. John spoke about this in 1 John chapter 3. And in 1 John 3.18, he says this, Little children, let us not love with word or with tongue, but with deed and truth. See, in the Ten Commandments, we see how God is calling Israel to love one another in what they do, but also in the very essence of their being. And I think God's calling us to that same thing as well. See, as we continue on in the book of Deuteronomy, Moses is going to continue to explain how to be obedient to the Ten Commandments. But Jesus, he decided to boil all the Ten Commandments down into just two. And in Matthew chapter 22, we read these words. It says, Teacher, what is the great commandment in the law? And Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and the foremost commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. You may ask yourself, why on earth are we going through a study on Deuteronomy? Why on earth would we spend our time in the law when we are under grace? And the answer is, Because God is communicating His love for Israel through the book of Deuteronomy. And that love that He had for Israel is the same love that He is calling you into today. And it's true, we are not under the law anymore. We are under grace. But you know, that grace that that we can, can experience and the grace that we have through Christ Jesus, that is because God loves us. In fact, the Scriptures say that God demonstrated His own love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. See, the God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament are the same God. And He was calling Israel into a relationship with Him back then, and He is calling you into a relationship with Him today. Now today, He does that through Christ Jesus. In fact, we explain the gospel in, in this way in our church and we begin with the idea that, that God is the creator of all things. Can we bring up the three circles, Brittany? And that God is the, the designer of all things, that God has a design. And none of that has changed since the beginning. And God has designed the world. In fact, it says that God created the heavens and the earth and, and He made everything that's in Him. And it says after He created everything, He looked and He said everything was very good. And if we were able to just live in the perfect design that God created us for, then we would be golden, but we don't. And we go our own way, we do our own thing, and we call that sin. And sin is when we depart from God's design to find our own design and our own purpose in life. I often use the example of 
using your, your brand new iPad as a cutting board. And if I use my brand new iPad as a cutting board, guess what's going to happen to that iPad? It's going to get broken. In the same way, when we use our lives in the way that God didn't intend them to be used, used, wow, I'm just making up words today, then we find ourselves in a place of brokenness. And brokenness is that feeling that we are not who we were meant to be. Brokenness is where we land when we sin against God. And it's a, it's a place that, that we are far from God. We are not being who God created us to be. And we feel that. We sense that. And if we stay in our brokenness, then we are, are, are going to be stuck there and separated God from God for all eternity. And we try to do all kinds of things to fix our brokenness. We try religion. We follow things like the Ten Commandments, do all the rules, do all that type of stuff. It doesn't work. Because ultimately, even if we try to follow all the rules, we don't. I was talking to an atheist at one point, and he said, well, I, I, I don't think I need, I don't need a God to, to make my own moral code. I can make my own moral code. And I said, well, tell me about your moral code. And he said a little bit, I said, well, you, do you value truth? And he said, well, yeah, I value truth. Do you think it's important that people tell the truth? And he goes, yeah, I think it's important that people tell the truth. I said, have you ever lied? And he goes, yeah. I said, you don't follow your own moral code. So even if you thought you could be right with God or right with with eternity through your own moral code, even you recognize that you don't follow it. We can try all sorts of things, but the reality is, is we can't fix our brokenness from a place of brokenness. And so we needed something outside of our brokenness to step in and deliver us. And that's what the good news of the gospel is. And the gospel message is that God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son. And his name is Jesus. And Jesus lived a perfect life so that he could die on the cross for our sins and that he rose from the grave three days later so that we could have new life in him. And the Bible says that if we confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord and and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, that we will be saved. Now we explain that by saying we need to repent and believe. And that repentance is, is, is repenting from the, the sin and the way of life that got us to that place of brokenness. Does that mean we're never going to sin again? No but we're making a change. We're making a turn in our lives and saying, I'm not going to follow my own way anymore. I'm going to follow Jesus. And I'm going to follow Jesus because I believe. I believe that he is the Christ, that he is the son of the living God. I believe that everything the Bible says about him is true. And I believe that he rose from the grave. And the Bible says that when we confess with our mouth, Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised us from the dead, that God raised him from the dead, that we will be saved and we can begin to recover and pursue God's design for our life. See, the relationship that God is calling us to, calling Israel to in Deuteronomy is this is how he calls us to that same relationship today. This is how we know God, that we walk with God. And that we can begin to love other people in the same way. And my question for you today is, where are you on this picture? If you, are you here today and you say, well, I still am, am stuck in that brokenness. I recognize that I have sinned and I am stuck in that brokenness. And, and you're hearing this today and I want you to say, there is, what is preventing you? What is stopping you from having a relationship with Jesus Christ? Do you believe And if you believe, are you willing to make Jesus Christ the Lord of your life? If the answer to that today is yes, then I would encourage you. I'm going to come up here and I'm going to be standing and we're going to have one more song. I want to challenge you. Come up and talk to me. Maybe you just have a question. Maybe you just want to know more about it. I challenge you to do that. 
But you know what? You don't have to. Because you know how I said we're not supposed to have some special place that's like some hallowed place and this is where we worship? There ain't nothing special about this spot right here. There ain't nothing special about this table right here. Eventually this table will get old and we'll replace it. And it'll probably end up in a burn pile somewhere. Because God is not on this table. If God is calling you to a relationship with Him today, you can do that in your car. You can do that with your friend in the pew where you're sitting. You can do that at Buffalo Wings and Rings when you leave here and go have lunch. In fact, I've seen people get saved at a pizza place. Because God's not limited to this place right here. But I will be standing up here. And if you'd like to have a conversation, I'm ready to have that with you. However God is speaking to you today, we invite you to respond. Let's pray. Our gracious God and King, Lord, we thank you so much for your word. God, we thank you for the reminder as we look at the Ten Commandments, Lord, that that you have, have always been in the business of calling people into a relationship with yourself. God, that your desire is for people to know you. And in Israel's day, that that was to know you through this covenant and to know your love and your grace and your mercy through the covenant. And in our day, we get to know you through the new covenant, which is in the person of Jesus Christ. Father God, I pray today that we can look at something like the Ten Commandments and see your love for people. And God, I pray that that would stir up something in our hearts so that we might desire to have that same love relationship with you. Lord, we see that perfectly through the person of Jesus who lived a perfect life and who died on the cross for our sins so that he could restore that relationship with us and you. And Father God, I pray that if there's anyone in this room today that that does not have that relationship, that, that has not surrendered their life to Jesus, does not have that relationship with you through Christ, Lord, I pray that today is the day that they would give their life to you. And Lord, that they would start that relationship new. Lord, I believe that even now you are, are, are putting a burden on the hearts of people in this room to walk with you and to know you, to experience your grace firsthand. And God, if that is them today, Lord, I pray more than anything else, I pray that they would talk to me, that they would talk to someone who brought them. But Lord, they would not let this day end without having a conversation about what it means to make Jesus Christ their Lord and Savior. God, we pray that your spirit would stir them up in that way and that we would get to celebrate the new life that they get to have in Christ. Lord, we ask these things in the precious name of Christ Jesus. Amen.